This week on the Formation Lab, Luke has contracted viruses for you, our loyal listeners. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, it, you put it that way, but it's not. It, it's not like that. Okay, like sure, it, it, it's uh, not. I, it's not like that. Okay, okay look, it's all right. Cool. I did it because of the. Yeah, I, I know why you did it, but hey, cue the tunes. This is the Formation Lab. Major key alert. You're listening to the Formation Lab Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that talks exclusively about DJ Khaled and his brand new album, Son of Assad, that came out, or Father of Assad? Father of Assad, that came out last year and didn't hit number one, so he threw a little hissy fit of it. I assume you've listened to the masterpiece of DJ Khaled's magnum opus, correct? I genuinely have no earthly idea what you're talking about right now. Congratulations. You played yourself. <laughs> not not a clue. I'm just, I can't believe you started out with major key alert. Oh, okay. That's how tonight's going to go. All righty then. Uh, well, I guess, I guess me, Luke, and I'm joined by Tim, as always. I guess we'll just have to talk about motorsports, Formula One. Well, darn. IndyCar, that kind of thing. And some other items tangentially related to motorsports. Right. We're going to actually have a little movie discussion tonight. We are. Movie. Because they're going to the awards. Yeah, motorsports are going to the awards. And shows. if Ricky Gervais isn't going to be hosting it, then I don't care. That's pretty accurate. So <laughs> I just get a drunk Ricky Gervais on stage, and he'll be like, "Oh, just I'm put, doing it again." Just put Ricky Gervais in anything, and I'll watch it, dude. Like, <laughs> here's the thing, too, is I feel like one on one, I wouldn't really get along with him because our personalities would clash. But like, he's one of those guys where I'm like, I don't even care about that because he's hilarious in everything I've ever seen him in. I'll watch his material. Right. Yep. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to talk about the wide world of motorsports. Let's start with the news. All the news that's fit to peruse. (laughs) The news that is fit to absorb somewhat. Um, According to, now admittedly, our British listeners are going to chafe us a bit on Twitter for this. Um, But according to the Daily Mail, F1 is poised to join Saudi Arabia after giving it an okay to a $50 million a year deal. Now, that is that they're listening to this deal and they've agreed upon the price and they have to kind of look at the details now. There's nothing inked, but they're like, hey, yeah, that that would work on our end. Yep. Um, Saudi Arabia. But but I think you have some other things before this, Luke, but I think you deserve to launch into laying claim. After you, sir. I called it. As you all recall, Luke went to some <laughs> admittedly sketchy websites. And where where prob- I got those viruses on my computer, okay? <laughs> no no suggesting I, that something is wrong said, with my lower half like you tended to imply. I didn't imply that. If you did that, that's on you, man. Did that's just, up to you and your dirty mind. I just said you that you got viruses for the listeners, and you did. Did, you know, you did, did it I to play your computer. Myself? Did you I play did. myself? You just played yourself. <laughs> This is the traditional way of letting you know, of informing you yep. that you have played yourself. But, um, but you did go to some sketchy websites and observed that in the background of a theme park. Uh, Six Flags Kadia, by the way. Six Flags theme park, which, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't think about Six Flags and F1 together in the same sentence. I just wouldn't. But whatever. You th- you saw in the background a track. And huh. some very obvious Formula One looking cars, and dare I say, some Formula One logos in the background there. They they they, they got close to getting a call from F one management saying, "Ah, uh, that's our stuff." Yep, and 
on those forums, I mean, almost every picture you have, if you if you want to go look at it right now, um, go Google, I forget what it's called, the world's new fastest, longest roller coaster that's going to be built in Saudi Arabia. And if you get on that fake CGI onboard ride, you'll literally pass right by um, right by a track and you'll hear going on in the background, right? They're yeah. not hiding it. No. There's going to be a racetrack if this thing gets developed. And the Daily Mail reports that uh, the event could reportedly begin as early as 2021 with a possible temporary street circuit in Jeddah until the purpose-built circuit is built. Where, according to the Daily Mail... Is this is this circuit going to be built? Bah, 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 bah. The, a permanent Grand Prix site will be in Kadia, which it should be mentioned. Kadia is not an actual place right now. It's one of those cities that they're just building in the middle of nowhere. It's a like sports city, right? Yep. Um, much like uh, much like Korea was planned to be. So saying it's in Kadia, the only other thing that's listed in Kadia is that you know Six Flags Park and a large entertainment complex. Uh, so yeah, uh, but yeah, you that you place did call it, and it's going to be. Um, interesting to see whether or not, you know, with the current climate of um, human rights violations and other things that Saudi Arabia is not getting the greatest of headlines for. No. Um, it'll be interesting to see if F1 moves forward with that, given how they're changing their approach with um, their fan base. Uh, you know, they're trying to appeal to a younger demographic. And younger demographics, it should be said, are a lot less lenient than even people of our age. We're not exactly, you know, old guys here, but, you know, it should be said that the generation below us is even less tolerant of yes. going to countries like this than than we are. And we're already very leery of races in China, in Russia, right? Yeah, we, we have some reservations. Right. Um, but- Quite a few. Yeah, and honest. but mostly it's it's not on an ethical basis. It's on a garbage racing basis uh, because mm-hmm. you design a track that's hot garbage. Um, and so, but yeah, uh, uh, those following uh, behind us have uh, one uh, a pretty dark sense of humor. I will say that their mm-hmm. memes are a bit. Ee. Um, they're pretty fire, though. The, if I'm being honest, <laughs> I'm not saying they're not funny, but you know, you go, ooh, okay, that's where we're going. All right. Um, and they are very uh, uncompromising with uh, their sh- uh, shades of gray right. type approach. And that's what I was going to say, too, is um, I think our generation likes to keep our sports and politics separate um, for the for a large part, right? Yes. Um, w- to the point where when I see a presidential ad uh, during the national football championship last night, I go college football. Yeah, college football. I should say that's not the Super Bowl. European listeners don't mix don't mix me up. Uh, we'll say though that the college football championships way better than the Super Bowl, but that's neither here nor there. But Do when not I tell that to Kansas City fans, when I see there's some down the hall, but uh, <laughs> when I see a presidential ad during that, I go, Ugh. you know, I I watch sports. Because I enjoy sports, and if I enjoyed news or if I enjoyed politics, I would seek out politics. So to me, you know, that – to my, my generation, that is kind of a, uh, you know, I don't like, you know, my piece to touch my mashed potatoes, right? Um, on the other hand, the generation below us that F1 is trying to target with um, these sustainability goals, not to say that those aren't good goals. I'm just saying that they're very obviously targeted at a different demographic than the one they reach. They very much like their peas to touch the mashed potatoes, and they think that when the peas don't touch the mashed potatoes, it is because of something about us in nature, right? They don't understand that, I would say. Yep. Um, 
I'm, I'm not trying to get into the, the generation game. I'm just saying that because of the interesting quirks and, and traits of the generation below us that F1's looking at, this is an even worse idea than trying to pass China and Russia on our generation. They need to do some uh, surveying with this right? and uh, do some uh, small group type things, um, feedback groups. Um, but yeah, no, that's, it is interesting though. So we might get a Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. And it should be noted that Formula E already has an event there. And here's a list of, uh, sports events that Saudi Arabia has hosted recently. They're trying to, from what I understand, they're trying to turn the country into more than just an oil destination, trying to turn it into an entertainment Mecca, um, pardon the pun, but, uh, you know, Mecca is located in Saudi Arabia. That's, that's the joke. I'm explaining the joke here. You are. Yes. And that makes it less funny. But you're doing great. Um, thank you. <laughs> but uh, Saudi International, the European tour, Saudi International, uh, that's golf, yeah. uh, is hosted in Saudi Arabia. And just recently, Rory McIlroy uh, said that he would not be going due to ethical concerns. Um, the WWE Crown Jewel event is held over in Saudi Arabia. That's one of their biggest events. Uh, it's assigned with the Saudi Arabian government, and there's quite a bit of fan backlash, especially among the WWE crowd, who tends to lean very conservative, uh, that, you know, that's that's not great. No. Uh it's funny though because I think you want. I think both sides of the aisles agree that like yeah, yeah let's not be doing this with Saudi Arabia. So it doesn't even matter if it's you know the golf crowd or the WWE crowd or the Spanish and Italian Super Cups of soccer are host, yeah. are holding their you know title matches in Saudi Arabia. Um, that's from what I see. Every fan just goes, "Why are we doing this? No, 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 no. This isn't. We don't want this." But F one is listening to the money. And let's talk about the money for a second. Uh, what, Aramco? Aramco? Uh, Aramco, I'll call it, is a state-owned oil company that uh, has apparently agreed. This is all according to the Daily Mail, so take it worth like two grains of salt, I dare I say. Right? Has reportedly already agreed to a global sponsorship deal with F1. Uh, reportedly, the event will be called the Aramco Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Again, $50 million a year is nothing to sneeze at. They pay Formula E $25 million a year, uh, it should be said, for in, in hosting fees. And that 50 is more than anywhere else on the calendar. Yeah. It's it's That's, hefty amount more. That is, that is a substantial payment, but, um, you know, it, it, the, there's a reason for that. So. Yeah, you have to you have to buy calmness from the FIA. The FIA doesn't want to do this. They don't. No, but if you stack enough zeros behind your payment, mm-hmm. um, then all of a sudden they say, "Well, this yeah. might not be the worst thing in the world." So we will we will keep going. We will carry that going forward. But an FIA race in Saudi Arabia is let's let's is keep a keep a weathered eye on the yes. horizon with this one. Yes, uh, but we will keep this in our uh, in our. Uh, yeah, side view and make sure that uh, we we can turn back around and look at this whenever it comes back up because it's going to be coming back up a lot. I'm going to ask you to predict the weather moving forward, right? Oh, please don't make me do that. Okay, so we're in St. Louis res- where the weather's just decide can't decide. We, we had like what six inches of snow over the weekend. It's sixty degrees today, and we're going to have snow again on Friday. Uh, don't forget between that, like ten inches of rain. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But uh, I'm going to ask you to look forward into the future a little okay, bit. Okay. God help me. I got to think that the reaction to this, should they confirm it is going to draw international, not Formula One, attention. Yes, uh, that's going to— Worse than China, worse than Russia. 
Yes. Hundred well, it's gonna draw negative attention onto those as well. Yep. Um it's going to stir up more of a hornet's nest than they can probably anticipate right now. So uh what's gonna happen is FIA once again agrees to uh, places where human rights violations are rampant. You know, look at what they're doing with Russia. Look at what they're doing with China. And it's going to become a much bigger issue. And they could lose other races when we're trying to add. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that may not be a bad thing, considering that, you know, F1 teams don't want to keep going uh, to all these places all the time. Um, but, you know, I think I think it could be a uh, pretty colossal hornet's nest that they're about to smack. I think um, I think so is too because you have to remember the timing of adding Russia as well. China was so far ago. What was that? 2008? Somewhere around there. It was there? a ways. Yeah, there right. was a there was another um that existed before our current political climate, our current social media climate mm-hmm. happened. Um and Formula One kind of snuck Russia in under the bill of the Olympics, which already got heat, you know, from hosting the Olympics. And also that was 2011 or 12? 11. Uh, 11, because it was the Winter Olympics. Right. Um, held in their their, uh, their version of Monaco where yeah. it's nice and sunny and warm, which is whatever. But um, uh, anyway, this, the point I'm trying to get here is that um, they really haven't had to deal with Twitter backlash shall I say, of this nature, a social not, media backlash. Uh, not a social media backlash that we've seen of late. Right. Where, you know, since uh, certain movements have had such effect, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, both for the good and for the bad. Right. Um, you know, so I don't, we haven't, they haven't had one that uh, that is this order of magnitude. Right. Um, before and they are setting themselves up for it. And um, dare I say, because this was one of the things uh, addressed previously, we'll get on to uh, some better news, some more fun news in, 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 in a couple <laughs> seconds here. But dare I say that 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 might be coming from the inside too. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think that any journalist that's not paid by Formula One, because if you're paid by Formula One, you obviously have a little skin in the game. Uh, on, you on you t- don't want to bite talking. the corporate, right? Yeah, but. If you think any journalist that isn't formally paid by former one, by Formula One or, dare I say, the women who work in the paddock, uh, maybe Claire Williams, if you think that they're going to kind of take this sitting down uh, with Saudi Arabia's rights uh, – with Saudi Arabia's history when it comes to uh, women's rights and also journalists, I don't think either of those groups are going to be quiet about it. So I think there might be a lot of dissent from within as well. I don't disagree, um, and they'll probably be writing the hit pieces that are retweeted the most. Yes. Um, so you know it's gonna be interesting, um, and by interesting I mean, um, hey guys, uh, can we can we not do this? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, whatever. I gotta say, as as my life, I would much rather see them put a street race in like Tokyo. Yes. That. Because I, I personally think that Japan deserves a second, uh-huh. um, you know, Formula One race. But that could just be me. What, bring back the German GP. That's the official show hashtag of 2020 is bring back the German GP. With rain. With rain. Otherwise, it's Do it at, like, the Norris right. ring or something, like, stupid, small, and weird. <laughs> anyway, but, uh, so, yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting to move forward. And I got to say, um, on, my, on my D&D alignment chart, I—, I classify myself as chaotic neutral so i am very intrigued to see where the storm will brew uh as formula one moves forward because make no mistake there will be a storm 
as they move closer to Saudi Arabia. Uh, In other news, Zach Brown says he doesn't anticipate the same, quote, huge step with his 2020 F1 team, with his 2020 season. Uh, I don't think this comes as a surprise. He did mention, too, that in 2018 they were, you know, pretty miserable. And to take the step from where they were to where they were in 2019, uh, you can't replicate that again. You can only take incremental steps forward. So Zach Brown, uh, quote, Part of uh, part of that is what is we were so poor in 2018 that it's hard not to take a huge step in 2019. Uh, so I don't see that same step coming from 2019 to 2020. He said he anticipated uh, in 2019 he, they anticipated a good th- this is quotes good car, uh, and the team anticipates a quote pretty good car for 2020, but knows that challenging the front won't quote won't happen overnight. Um, so this to me is him being realistic, saying, I think we'll get better, but let's pump the brakes on us like challenging for race wins. Yeah. And I think the thing that's interesting is that it, there, there could be a bit of sandbagging going on a little bit because he is saying he does say that the they were uh, kind of poor. They didn't have as much cash flow as they would have wanted. But Zach being uh, the marketing uh, guy that he is, has brought in just a, a boatload of sponsors, <clears throat> including uh, Unilever. Uh, I'm reading, a, I read an article uh, in Autosport um, by Jonathan Noble just a couple days ago. And uh, yeah, McLaren had agreed to um, a, a deal with Unilever who used to sponsor Williams with their uh, Rexona uh, name badge that's, that was on the side of the car. So they did get a couple of sponsors away from Williams, which is a really really big bummer as we talked about last week mm. uh, with Todd uh, with a, for a privateer team but at least it went to another privateer team sort of um, and I think I think they're gonna they're gonna make a good step forward again not yeah. not as monumental as they did in 2018 but it's uh, 2019 but I think it's gonna be a substantial one and I think one of the important things too is Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris know how each other click and despite the fact that they were you know hitting it off almost immediately um there's still a feeling out period of of Grand Prix for the first half of the year, maybe more. But now that you know how your how your teammates react and you know them well, uh, you know over the course of that year, I think that the the driver situation going to get stronger. And uh, Zach Brown actually talked about uh, Lando and Carlos. Uh, quote. They didn't know each other before, and when we first introduced them, I think as Carlos said in one of his interviews, Lando was a bit shy. But they get along really well, and when they're on the track with each other, I'm not nervous, unlike maybe the Haas duo. That's a shot across the bow. Yikes, <laughs> that's some shade. Uh, it's an honest shade, though. But, uh, quote. <laughs> it's not undeserved. They're on the wall of shame for a reason. Yes. Okay, uh, so I'm not nervous, unlike maybe the Haas duo. When they're around the track or anybody, I do get nervous. They've got real respect, but they race each other really hard. And they've been very great to work with in the sponsors. And I think all the fans just really enjoy them. I think this is kind of a new era in Formula One to expose what goes on in Formula One in a more natural way. And I I got to say, too, that uh, just as an aside, it feels interesting now that McLaren's – can I say McLaren's cool again? Because yes. I think they've definitely lost their coolness uh, for quite a few years, yeah. And McLaren's the cool, sexy company again. So I think that you know they realize that we got two cool drivers. We got the, we got some coolness going on here, and yeah. I, 
I gotta need, say, it's it's right for moving forward. Yeah, and I you know I agree. I they're fun. You know, McLaren has never been one has never been a team that you think of as like you know put get let your hair down, hang out, you know, be cool, smart, you know, kind of that young new up and coming thing. It's been the you know, stuffy, you know, powerhouse, the, you know, formerly, honestly, what we used to think of Mercedes. Yes. Where they were kind of that, you know, um, evil engineering firm where they, they're just ruthlessly, you know, pursuing excellence. They're pursuing excellence, but they're going to have fun. McLaren hasn't been this fun, this cool since the McLaren F1 dropped in the mid nineties. Yep. yep. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, they, yeah, they're, they're just fun. I think and that, they're cool. They're a good fan favorite because, yeah, you're right. The um, the drivers have good chemistry. Uh, they have a good respect for each other, which I'm glad Zach points out. Um, but you know, they also they're going to race each other hard. And I don't think I can, we're going to see the nature of their relationship change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they might like snipe at each other a little bit, but um, you know, I think I think it's going to be it's going to be good watching them moving forward. I'm a, I'm a McLaren supporter. Yeah. Uh, for 2020, I just don't want the takeaway from this to say to be that he thinks they're going to take a step sideways or a step backwards. I think he's just quelling expectations, maybe a little sandbagging, as you pointed out. But you're not going to go from almost worst to first in the terms of the mid pack again. You're not going to. They're going to close that gap, I think, a little bit between them and the top three. But don't expect, you know, a, a podium every other week or something. No, they can we- sneak into the podium. But I, th- I actually think we'll see a genuine McLaren podium mm-hmm. this year. I think we will too. But he's just trying. I think this is more of just a hey, we're not Mercedes right now. And <laughs> Easy, even guys. though even though Easy. Ferrari bungles almost everything, we still are not Ferrari yet. Uh, <laughs> we're not to that point. McLaren will bring them back up in our second segment. But uh, we're going to move on to a bit of movie discussion because Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, they have a Best Picture <laughs> nomination at the Oscars. And I got to say, Tim, you and I are kind of movie buffs. We, like to, we are. We like to analyze movies. Uh, we do. We will dissect them and try right. to find uh, the uh, high, medium, and lowbrow uh, appreciation for each movie and see and give it uh, you know, evaluations based on what they were going for. I got to say, as a movie buff. If you mention Cats Dang it. one more time, I'm going to freak out. <laughs> That is an atrocity. <laughs> As Ricky Gervais, that's that's what Ricky Gervais pointed out. It's the cats is the worst thing to happen to cats since dogs. Good Lord Almighty! Slow your roll, Buster for Jones. All right, <laughs> <laughs> I hate that movie. So, um, yeah, I but I don't know if Ford versus Ferrari deserved it. I don't know if they're gonna win it. I think <clears> it <throat> deserves uh, at least a little look. I don't. I. I. I if it, if it wins for film editing or something like that, right. you don't. They, best picture. Let's go over the best picture nominees. Let's show. do that. Um, the Irishman, Ford versus Ferrari, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time, dot dot dot, in Hollywood, and Parasite are your 2020 best picture nominations. Yes. Now every time this comes out, I like to look at what I consider the high end and the low end nominees. All right. Okay. And as much as I respect Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is not as good of a movie to me as Ford vs. Ferrari. I didn't have as much fun in it, and I didn't like it. 
as much. I'm a big interesting. Here's the thing: is I love Reservoir Dogs. I really like Pulp Fiction. Reservoir Dogs is my favorite one, uh, for the record. But I like a lot of Quentin Tarantino stuff. I just didn't like that kind of stuff. I think we can agree. Um, we both saw Joker. I really liked Joker. I think nominating it for Best Picture. No. No. No, 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 no. Right? I don't think it deserves it. Uh, haven't seen Jojo Wabbit, Rabbit. I have seen Wabbit. <laughs> I have seen Marriage Story. I thought that was very good, very moving. Um, Marriage I, Story was Adam uh, Driver hard. To, yeah. It's it's hard yes. to watch. You know, if you, you know, when I say um, moving, I don't mean a good way for the record. And that's <laughs> and that's that's part of the reason you go to the movies is to right. feel something. Right. Uh, Marriage Story will make you feel something. You right. know. Whether it's hard, whether it's good, and it's like, wow, that kind of thing can happen in my marriage for sure. Or like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like what 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 things push each other apart, you know, that kind of thing. So it's 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 a that was a hard one, but a really exquisitely done movie. Everybody right. should check it out. Uh, and you know, Scarlett Johansson was amazing in it, and so was Adam Driver. Adam Driver's always solid. Yeah. Those, if if you're, you haven't seen him in anything other than Star Wars, go watch an Adam you Driver. Owe movie. it to yourself. Owe it to yourself. Um. And uh, Parasite. Parasite supposedly really, is really good. Excellent. I haven't seen it. I'm going to try and see it while it's at our local art house theater, the Tivoli, down yep. on the loop. It's really, really good. Um, um, I, I illegally watched it online, but it's it's exquisite. I plan to buy it myself. So um, what I'm saying, though, is that if Joker and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are nominated, I think Ford versus Ferrari personally is a better movie than those two. Yeah. So I, I would be – I would be <clears> – <throat> Right alongside everybody and throwing chairs out windows if it won Best Picture when you have Parasite, uh, Jojo Rabbit was great, The Irishman was great, 1917 is supposed to be phenomenal, right? If, if it beats 1917 is going to win. If it beats those out, I'm going to be angry, all right, because I don't think it deserves that. I think it deserves a nomination if those other two get a nomination. See, okay, so that – and that – I agree with that reasoning. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood – I'm all in for a Quentin Tarantino flick. Mm-hmm. I love just how much fun he and he he does not care. No, he's going to make the movie he wants to make. You know, you know, hell or high water. And I I really love that about his movies. Um, you know, and it's like Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Margot Robbie just having fun. Mm-hmm. They're having a blast, and so I like going to a movie. You know, if anybody's just going to go ahead and have fun and make a movie, I'm all in. That being said, I think as as it goes, it did not deserve. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. I would have rather have seen Uncut Gems or Little Women. Yeah, get nominations over those two. Uh, Little Women did get a nomination. I haven't seen that one yet for Best Picture. For Best Picture. Uh, oh, it did. Yeah, yeah, Never mind. Yeah. Right okay. after the Joker. Yep. Okay, sorry, I missed that. Then, um, then Little Women definitely deserves to be there. Um, I get. I guess they got snubbed on Best Director. Yeah. Because um, I was a little bummed out with that. But Little Women should be in there. Um, Uncut Gems should be in there. But um, as it stands, though, I think if you're looking at the quality of film that is at the <laughs> lower end, I think Ford versus Ferrari matches that. And if you're at the lower end of a of an Oscar nomination for Best Picture, you're still a very bleeping good movie, so go yeah. see Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know you have your reservations about Joker, I, but we'll 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 move on from that. Yeah, let's okay. let's. Why don't they give? Yeah, why don't they give the Razzies at the Oscars? That should because be, cats would win it all. Yes, <laughs> I gotta say it was a. How much, I, how much money? Did they it was lose? the most. It was the most fun I think I've had in a theater this year oh, because I laughed until I did cried. You go it was sober? that bad. No, you know I don't drink, but I. I do appreciate bad filming, bad movies, bad film. I watch every episode of Mystery Science Theater so 3000. Went 
sober. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, when you see a Rift Tracks movie, I have usually already seen the movie Sans Rift Tracks. <laughs> just repeat to yourself, it's just a show. We should really just relax. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, it's interesting. I, um, so we'll see. Uh, there are some... Uh, good things coming out to view that we would recommend, hence mm-hmm. the uh, Drive to Survive Season 2. Drive to Survive Season 2 is coming up. By about. the way, I have a bone to pick with Drive to Survive. Let's get back to Ford versus Ferrari. I didn't put Drive to Survive on here. But let's get back to Ford versus Ferrari. <laughs> you are just like, what? The, the crap. I'll get back I'll get back to that, I promise. Okay. Uh, Ford versus Ferrari is also uh, nominated for sound editing, sound mixing, and film editing. I think of yeah, those, those fine. sound mixing is really I expect that to win. That was the one of the best. I really ha- I have an ear for audio stuff as part of my work. Right? No, I hear get out. A lot of stuff, right? Like <laughs> one of my one of my things I do at the at the church I frequent is is live sound too. So like I very hear things a lot of things, and the way that they mix that film to the point of feeling the engines to uh, the emphasis was just on just let. Everybody hear the Ferrari, let everybody hear the Ford GT, and just edit it so that it's just pure and you feel the feeling you get when a car like that passes by you. Um, Goosebumps. I think it definitely deserves one, if not both, of those sound uh, mixing and editing awards because the engine noises in that are simply incredible. Well done. Uh, It's the actual engine noise, too. It's not like... You know, something else. They they took some old Ford GTs, kicked them up, and, you know, recorded it. And some old Ferraris, I've heard. Yep. So, yep. yeah, that is, it is awesome, but... Uh, I think, too, you could argue that sound editing and mixing is more important in a racing film than it is in a Jojo Rabbit, Irishman, Joker, uh, marriage story, etc. Yeah, but again, I'm going to come back to, the, there was one performance in Joker that was good, and the rest of it... Um, We're talking about sound mixing here. <laughs> yeah, it's just like give it, give him one of those. Yeah, yeah. That, that's about all they deserve. I think I think Joaquin. They're, they're, it lasted way too long. I I. I liked it, so I will not open this can of worms because we are not, we're not a comic book podcast, but no, we should. We'll do it on we a, we'll do it on a Patreon only. We'll do it on a Patreon only. That's coming up soon. We have a website under development right now. I should we say do. we do. Uh, I sh- I got to send you the link and have you look at it, but uh, it's yeah. it looks pretty. P.S. If it, in case anybody hasn't picked it up, I have nothing to do with it. Luke is the technical one of the two of us. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's gonna see, it's gonna feature a blog post section though, so we can. Uh, we I can am going write. to rant. Yeah, we, so hard. we can write our stuff. Uh, finally, where's cats? Anyway, the one no, I wanted to come no, to no, with no. Drive to Survive, and this was in the news, was Germany 2019 was just voted race of the decade by the Formula One fans. And I tweeted on at Formation Lab 101, the official Twitter account, this is where we see the downside of the Drive to Survive crowd joining us for one year, right, yep. as it stands. I'm not saying they won't stick around, but they've been with us for one year because that, as good as that was, right, I have no problem with that being in the top ten. You're going to look at me and tell me Canada 2011? That's, that. it, it was a better race. Bra- I'm sorry. Brazil 2019 was a better race in that season and not, I, I, I understand I enjoy chaos, right, but that was aided by the fact there was rain, it was driver and error. So it was Canada 2011, right. but. It was driver error, but it wasn't, it didn't come down to racing. It came down to rolling the dice. Right. And, you know, with Canada 2011, it came down to final corner, two great drivers, one 
barely misses it, spins his car. Shades of what was to come. I don't know. Sebastian yes. Vettel spinning. That's become oh. a real thing. <laughs> but final lap, one of the final corners, and he takes it. He goes from last to first six separate pit stops in one race. Right. Like, that was just utter and complete madness. And almost you could poetry. S- right. And you could still argue that he raced the best race. He did. And that's one of the things that I that gets me about Germany is – Am I going to say that uh, – who was it that finished third? Was that uh, Lance Stroll or was that – Germany? In Germany. Uh, uh, hold, please. Yes. Anyway, what I am going to say, though, is that I don't think the person who raced the best race in Germany uh, won the race, shall we say, right? I think it was just hold on to your dear life and don't you know spin the car. Um it, you, you feel what I'm saying? Like it, it no, wasn't racing agree. in its purest form. Yeah, it was like a Brazil. It was, you know, hey, what's going to happen? Let's roll the dice and figure out. Yeah. You know, and, and not figure anything out. It's wherever you land, that's where you finish. Um, and but it was uh, Kvyat. Kvyat in third. Yes, Kvyat in third. Does Kvyat? Did Daniel Kvyat run the third best race, or did he get aided by the fact that half the field spun out? And Lance Stroll was in fourth. Yeah, Lance Stroll was in fourth. Uh, same deal, right? I think that if Mercedes won in Germany and everything stayed the same, but Mercedes happened to have the car that didn't spin, I think nobody would even put that in the top five. Nope. No. And, um, yeah, I just, while it was cool, while it was crazy, while you're like, what? Mm -hmm. It wasn't Canada 2011. No. Where you were on the edge of your seat the whole time you were freaking out. Um, and you know, Jensen took it all. So. Let me let me nip this in the bud real quick before we go to break too. I know what y'all are gonna say. Oh, you guys are gonna say, but Luke, you're an indie car guy. You love chaos. You're chaotic neutral. Blah blah blah. And I appreciate that. But what I love about indie car is the chaos comes from good racing, right? In the Indy 500, when when you don't know who's gonna win, it's because all three of those guys have been running excellent races, and you're watching three chess grandmasters play like a three-way chess. You're not watching, you know, three guys just drive through a landmine. Pray that they get enough grip right. in, the, in the wet tarmac. Right. You're not yeah. watching three guys just run through a field of landmines and be like, oh, he didn't step on one, he wins. Congratulations. You know, you're watching good racing that's very even. Right. And that produces chaos. Chaos for chaos's sake is nice every once in a while. It's why we love Baku. But if every race was Baku, we'd go... Give us a spa. Give yep. us a Monaco. Give us, you know. Give us a good race. Right. So, anyway, that's, uh, that is going to wrap up the news. Uh, we, ha- we have something. We're going to Americanize this podcast because we're going to talk about baseball and how it relates to Formula One. Yes. I texted Tim earlier today, and I said, you know, I've had a little bit off of work, and I am just wondering, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> do you have any segment ideas? Yes. And he goes, oh, the Astros cheated. Let's talk about Formula One. And I'm like, yes. So I found some great cheating stories. Some you will know. Some you probably don't know. And maybe my favorite one I've ever found featuring Roger Penske. That's coming up right here on the Formation Lab. The Formation Lab with Luke and Tim. The Formation Lab with Luke and Tim. Welcome back to the Formation Lab here with 101 ESPN. And it should come as no surprise that Tim and I are baseball fans. 
Zero surprise. If you, if you yeah. know anything about St. Louis at all, if you Google the city and because you're not from around here, it's a baseball town uh, or the, a drinking town with a baseball problem. I don't know. I think it's a baseball town with a drinking problem. Well, because I mean, it, it, if you took away Budweiser from us versus if you took away from the the Cardinals from us, I think people would riot more over the Cardinals. There would be than a Budweiser. lot of rioting. People would go, ah, we got four hands. Ah, we got Urban <laughs> Chestnut. You know, they, how much money would they have to pool to get those naming rights? <laughs> that would be four hand stadium. Ugh. Yeah, Technically, be... it's still named after uh, yeah. Augustus Bush. Yes. And the greatest Fine. middle finger to the MLB ever. We'll talk about that later in some other time. Some though. other time, yeah. Uh, another story, another time, but fun yeah. stuff. But in the baseball scene, uh, currently, there is a scandal rocking uh, the core of the sport. And that comes from uh, the town of Houston in Texas. Uh, the Astros there, their hometown team, um, decided back in 2017 to use a system of uh, cheating. They were stealing signs that uh, from. So what would happen is, it's illegal to steal signs with aids. Anyth- anything that is aid, you're aiding by technology. Right. You're being aided by some kind of tech. We should say too, stealing signs. Um, if you're watching, if you haven't watched baseball, stealing signs is basically the catcher will put down a sign. And that would tell the pitcher, you know, hey, expect, you know, I'm putting up a number three. That means I want a curveball. Or, you know, I tap both my, the inside of both my thighs and then a two. That means I need a, a sinker. And, you know, this is where I want it. It's illegal. It's legal to steal signs only with your bare eyes, with, with what you can see. It is illegal to have binoculars, cameras, anything electronic, anything that's not something you can reasonably just look at the field and go, hey, look at that. Yeah. And so what was happening in Houston on the year that they uh, made the the run all the way and won the World Series um, and it had been happening up, you know, up until that point under Jeff Lunau's uh, Jeff Lunau, general manager, general manager Mm -hmm. uh, of the organization under his uh, leadership. This had been happening um, where they had a camera in center field that would pipe to a live feed to the dugout. And super illegal, supremely illegal, and someone in that in the dugout or in the walkway just beyond, just be, uh, underneath the dugout, would make a noise of some sort. So there was a there was whistling at some points. There was bashing of trash cans. That was the big one. And if you it, fun fact, if you go back and look at any pretty much any of their two thousand and seventeen games, you can hear them go bang, 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 or one, two for a change up. Nothing for a fastball, one for – no, two for a curveball, one for a changeup. You get it the idea. It was something. Yeah, it would tip you to whatever pitch was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and then things would happen like uh, Jose Altuve, I believe, had like a three seventy five batting average at home and like a one forty three on the road. Which is, again, aided. It helps if you know that you're going to get a fastball. Because yes. half the t- challenge of hitting is I'm expecting a 97-mile-an-hour fastball, and I just got a 75-mile-an-hour curveball that just messed me up. So, Threw off my rhythm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so this this gave the Houston Astros a wildly uh, huge competitive advantage against their opponents for almost the entire 2017 season. This uh, the The real scandal is that Everybody in the upper management was involved somehow. They knew about um, it. They knew about it. And uh, they didn't stop it. Correct. If they didn't endorse it, they didn't stop it. Um, A.J. Hinch, their uh, their head coach, uh, said that he tried to stop it in the investigation, but did not in a way that he sabotaged it. He didn't tell anybody yeah. to stop it. And multiple players said, well, if Hinch told us to stop, we would have stopped. Right. And 
you know, so the, it's kind of like, well, I tried. No, you didn't. Um, so there have been a series of penalties that have come down that are really harsh. We're still waiting on uh, the bench coach, Alex Cora, who um, is currently the head head manager for the Red Sox. He's mm-hmm. taken this system to Boston, apparently. Yep. Um, and then they won the 2018 World Series. So, so it's do like, the math. <laughs> yeah, so one would lead to the other. Um, and it's kind of uh, interesting to see what will happen to him. Um, but there uh, were two suspensions handed out to A.J. Hinch, the coach, and the general manager, Jeff Luno. Uh, they've both been fired. Um, and then a, a series of penalties for the for the team, for the team and the organization. $5 million draft picks, et cetera. All and that got us thinking. All right. That got us thinking. If you've stuck with us for this description, we're thinking, what's the F1 equivalent? We're, we're going to do a little cheating special. What's the not just F1 because I have stories from uh, from all over the automotive world, mostly from F1. But uh, we have some really, really great stories to tell you guys about the proud and storied history of cheating in motorsports. And let me say this right now. Any sport. First off, go back and listen to our interview with uh, Dr. Ray LeBeau. He is absolutely brilliant. And he talked about the engineer's mindset and any sport where you get engineers involved, you're going to have creative interpretations of the rules yes and to some extent that's okay yeah then you get things like the double blown diffuser with adrian newey and the red bull car you get things that are undoundedly major innovations in the field of of that some people may see as a yeah yeah uh, uh, as an unfair advantage or cheating but it's not it's technically within regulations if you go and buy a mercedes right now a good chunk of that Mercedes can trace itself back to R&D done in the name of racing at this point, right? Or especially, you know, an Audi, a Lamborghini, a Ferrari, right? And I would wager that 60 to 70% of the tech that finds its way back to Formula One was because of creative interpretations of the rules. Yeah, That's how you get, you know, oh, shoot, we figured out a really great way to put battery power in in our you know, we figured out flywheels and how to increase the efficiency of our engine output. We figured out how to maintain kinetic energy reco- or maintain kinetic energy, kinetic energy, and recover it quicker. And that's curse, right? That eventually got written in, so it wasn't illegal. But yeah. creative interpretation of the rules move it forward, and they also give us some great, great cheating stories. Now, yes, now there is going up into that line, and then there's going past it. There is the you know, the old adage, you know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying hard enough. But ugh, let's see. I think I really like the ones uh, that you have here. And this actually, in- <laughs> the first few include uh, our favorite guy who's currently on the. No, he's uh, not. He's on the not. Wall he chain. didn't make it. Nope, Darn it. All right. First one Spygate. Oh, Spygate. The, 2011, the 2007 season. Ferrari made an allegation that Nigel Stepney and Mike Coughlin, both McLaren seniors, very high up in the McLaren order, uh, were stealing technical information from the Italian Stallions. And uh, this was a this was a bit this is a big accusation. All these teams are very independent, and that's why the idea of sharing information in the 2021 World Set is so radical. Uh, according to Ron Dennis, uh, well, let's just say okay, they first investigated it, right? No penalties are handed out uh, for McLaren. Ron Dennis says, hey, guys, I alerted the FIA that there are further infractions and further evidence. And there's more. Right. Uh, 
Max Mosley comes out and says it's Fernando Alonso who sent that email out, by the way. Um, that's a that's a questionable claim. We'll get to that. There's another rumor that uh, an intrepid journalist talked about that we will talk about in a second, but continue. Uh, after that, they found that uh, they reinvestigated and they happened to find that incriminating evidence. McLaren was excluded from the Constructors' Championship. Interestingly enough, though, both their drivers were not disqualified from the Drivers' Championship, and they were fined $100 million. We'll get to the other part of this that involves Renault, but carry on. So, essentially, uh, intrepid journalist uh, Joe Sayward said that it is commonly accepted in the paddock that what happened was, during this season, Fernando Alonso was having a tough time edging out Lewis Hamilton. So when he found this stuff from Ferrari, he decided to blackmail Ron Dennis and said, if you don't, you know, give me all the advantages, all the new parts and start favoring me, I'm going to go to the FIA. So Ron Dennis called his bluff and went to the FIA himself. So it's a total thug move from Ron Dennis. It's it's, um, it's a baller move. It's it's pretty baller. <laughs> if you ever thought how tough is Ron Dennis, Ron Dennis is this tough. He that, will not stand to that. That being said, Max Mosley uh, came out and said that the only email that we have from Ron Dennis was Ron Dennis telling us that there's nothing in these in the upcoming. Uh, second investigation that they can get us on and says that everything Ron Dennis communicated to him and to everybody else was that he wasn't the one who sent that. So there's there's a lot of who said it, who done exactly. it. Exactly. There's it, it. There's so much shade in here. It's crazy. All you need to know is that if you're familiar with baseball and with our first part uh, bored you because you already know all the details, this is the Cardinals hacking scandal. It's basically what it is. Yep, pretty much. Um, um, they somehow got all the details about... Ferrari's, um, Ferrari's development. Yep. And, you know, how the carbon fiber was laid in the car. It's a, It was a massive, like, Lot several thousand page document about, mm-hmm. about the car. And here's where it gets extra interesting. But wait, there's more. Act now. And Renault F1 will have detailed information on McLaren cars from 2006 and 2007. So that means that McLaren themselves had a leak. And it went from a, it came from a former employee, <laughs> a former employee who, by the way, of course, went from McLaren to Renault. So the question <laughs> is, if three teams are involved back then, they were running, uh, what, about 12 teams, I'd yeah. say 12 teams. So that's a quarter of the grid. Yeah. A quarter of the grid is involved in this actively one. engaging in corporate espionage. How much of the rest of the grid had it? But it was all of it, them. I think it was the fine for me. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. A hundred million dollars. That's so. Here's whoa. Here's the thing: is that makes the steepest penalty ever faced by the Astros, right? Five million dollars. The Astros are worth what? I would say conservatively a billion dollars, right? Yep. We'll we'll say a billion. That's right around where the MLB teams average nowadays, and the Astros sit in a large market. So, um, the five million to a billion dollar company to a billion dollar valuation is not much especially when you consider it's like a $5000 fine right. okay they're they're paying 250 you know 200 million dollars out in salary year over year already right mm-hmm. um i know for formula 1 uh that's not huge but that's a lot for any any stick and ball sport right yep. for any ball space sport but uh for a team that probably had a budget around the same level as the Astros budget year over year but spending budget right two hundred million three hundred somewhere in there right uh that's a third of your that's not a slap in the wrist 
That's no. a lot. That is that is a sizable smack to the jaw. Yeah. Um. So I, I'm just you know it's it shows you how how hard the FIA will come down if you run afoul of the rules in a certain way. Um. But yeah, no, that's that's just one of the most fascinating ones, and that's not that long ago. And neither is our second one. Crash Gate. Crash Gate. Once again, we find Fernando Alonso and Renault in the 2008 Singapore Grand Prix. The team reportedly ordered Nelson Piquet Jr. to crash in order to give Fernando Alonso an advantage. Let me describe how this works for those of uh, for our Americans who are more first time listeners and they're just following us. Yes. So, so Alonso or Fernando Alonso, Alonso, Fernando. Anyway, Fernando Alonso had a very strong talent and a very strong car but that being said they've qualified very low in this race i think it was 16th fernando alonso usually cars that qualify that low take a full tank of fuel Mm -hmm. uh and they just they just leg it out only the cars at the top really take a small little sip of fuel to start out with because they have to have what was left over after qualifying yeah fernando alonso takes a very very small drink of fuel just like a little a little sip Right, thirteen laps worth. Dare I say? For, so they put light fuel in the car. Alonso comes in and he pits. He's already running in sixteenth. He goes to the back of the field. Three laps later, Nelson Piquet Jr. His teammate crashes. That means Alonso come. Alonso comes back in. Comes back near the field under the safety car. And at that time, you could not pit until all cars were bunched in. Behind the safety car. Alonzo, having just pitted to have a big old chunk of fuel, fresh tires, everybody else didn't. So everybody else goes to the pits. Guess who shuffles out first? Fernando Alonso. Fernando Alonso now sits first, finishes the race in first place. And then everything kind of falls apart. Right. Um, I got to say, for for the record, uh, that that's kind of brilliant. Uh, all these are really kind of brilliant, if I'm being honest. The, the, you can't deny the brilliance of all of it. It's if, like, wow, I'm impressed. Yes. <laughs> like, you got, you, I, I'm too impressed to be mad. Turns, like, turns out it's super race fixing, right? Like, yeah. It's totally race fixing. Absolutely. But uh, it's it's a bit like um, it's a bit like if you're watching a spy movie and somebody gets assassinated through like these really complicated techniques, and it's like, and it's just like it's like, well, super illegal, but like. Gotta say, it's kind of cool, you know? Like, come on. <laughs> or, like, you read about, like, you know, back in, like, the, you know, old, ye olden medieval times and some king, you know, got, like, you know, murdered through this very elaborate poison scheme. You're, like, super illegal, super not cool, but, like, dang, you gotta respect the work. You pulled it off. Well done. So, Nikkei, um, yeah, I was gonna say, Nelson P.K. Jr., moves forward 2009 that next year he gets fired and he comes out and says uh yeah i was asked to deliberately crash in that race and then everything kind of falls apart uh and the fia investigates sure enough it's true it's race fixing by it the way. is race fixing um and the folks in vegas hate that kind of thing mm-hmm. um so flavio briatori gets a lifetime ban and a lifetime appointment to the rich energy corner of intrigue and villainy mm-hmm. uh he was team boss at the time should he, say. he was team boss at the time he is still currently fernando alonso's manager um and then since then the his ban has been kind of lifted sort of he can be at race weekends but he cannot be a part of the sport right so uh, Renault F1 lost several huge sponsors, including uh, main sponsor ING Logos. 
Uh, Renault was technically banned from F1, but uh, that was suspended uh, for, to for, two years. For, it was suspended two years, um, and it's widely accepted that because Simons and Briatore, the, the two main conspirators there, because they immediately fired them. Flavio Briatore. Right. Because they immediately fired Flavio Briatore, uh, they kind of got away, got— They could come back. They could come back. Yep. Uh, yeah, to lifetime ban a team— is outrageous. Yikes. That would be like if again that would, that's the MLB equivalent is looking at the Astros and just saying, "Nope, Houston, you don't get a baseball team anymore." That's it. That's you're done. that's it. You're done. They, they are impressive penalties. <laughs> they are um, huge. The FIA is not messing around. Dear MLB, take notes. Um, our next one, BAR Honda's fuel tank. Oh, BAR Honda's fuel tank is one of my favorites. I assume you've heard this story before, have you? Mm-hmm. Yes. So BAR Honda kind of looked at the rules and said, well, let's look at these fuel tanks, all right? Why don't we add a second round 10-liter fuel tank that's connected to the main compartment with a hose? A fuel tank that is hidden and on inspection you wouldn't be able to find unless you, you know, take a snake up through the hose line and find it, which is how they did it. (laughs) Which is exactly what they'll do. They'll take x-ray machines to those cars. Don't don't put it past them. The tank was kept secret from scrutineering, and it failed to make... Yeah, so it was filled when they come in to scrutineering. It was filled with 10 liters of fuel, right? Now, that puts the car at the minimum weight, so you have to think that when it's... When that fuel tank is empty, the car is now below weight. But not only that, we all know that when you have more weight, you can run a more rich fuel-to-oxygen mixture in your engine, which produces increased gain. Now, the key here is that everybody can everybody can change the mixture, but you only have a very specific set amount of fuel you can use. BAR Honda added another 10 liters to that illegally, and as they ran a richer fuel mixture— they also reduced the car to be underweight because they're burning off that tank that was the only thing that made them meet the minimum weight requirements. And then they're just off to the races because they're a whole lot lighter than everybody else, and they've got the same power. And this is where the FIA comes in. They put a, they put like a little snake camera through their uh, through the uh, the hoses. fuel system. Yeah, through the fuel system, and. BAR Honda goes, oh, we were running a highly pressurized fuel system, and the two tanks funnel pressurized fuel through each other, and that is why we have that. We just didn't report it because we didn't think so. But the key to the FIA here is that the FIA couldn't prove they actually ran underweight because at the end of races, they didn't exactly measure that they were underweight. Um so, uh, so because they didn't catch them in the act, yeah. they could not they could not do anything more than uh, a race banning them for uh, a one race weekend and two races. Yeah. But the FIA was supposed to be looking into a full season ban. So they come down <laughs> hard on this stuff. Hey, Rob Manfred, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. This is how you, you do it. Um, but yeah, that was that's one of my favorites is uh, – the the engineers getting away with stuff is my favorite I just love part. It. I love wait it. Wait till you hear this 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 other one, the SCCA versus Roger Pinsky. I can't wait. This is comes after another intriguing one, Tyrell's water cooled brakes. 
1984, Tyrell introduced water-cooled brakes in their car design, or more accurately, a water tank that was emptied, allowing the team to run underweight. Near the end of the race, the car would be topped off with two gallons of water and 140 pounds of lead shot to meet post-race inspections. <laughs> nice. So Tyrell goes, Tyrell goes, all right, well, we're going to cool our brakes through water. That means we have to have a water tank, right? What that water tank actually did was as it was going through the race would just strategically leak water or, you know, leave a little bit here, a little bit there, right? Turns out that makes the car run a lot underweight, especially when you fill it up in the pre-race and they're like, yep, that looks that looks like it was it was up to the was to standards. And then they shed that much water. Yep. They shed all that water. So then near the end of the race, end of race pit stop, they come in. And they have a very special water tank that, of course, you can't see into. Yep. And you super special, super special. Definitely isn't full of lead shot. Yeah, isn't a hundred and forty <laughs> pounds of lead shot plus two liters of water. So that if you opened it up, you'd be like, "Yep, there's water in there." <laughs> yep. And imagine like the pit guy that had to do that. Like that's a, that's a lot to haul around. <laughs> They're like, who is our strongest man? Him. He'll do it. Tyrell at 140 pounds of lead shot. Oh my god! I okay. So before this one, before this one, don't read okay. into the next all right, one. All right. What is your favorite of these four? Mm, I think it's going to have to be Spygate. I think Spygate's my favorite because I don't want- the because <laughs> they got just destroyed by the the penalty. Like holy mother. I like BAR Honda because it's that's also it's creative good. engineering, and that's what I love about cheating. If you're just cheating to steal signs, yeah, come on. But if you're like creatively gaming a hole, a gap in the rule book, uh, or especially uh, Tyrell's water cooled brakes, if you're gaming the system, I think there's cheating, and then there's yeah, that's cheating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the noise. Yeah, that's cheating. Yeah. you thought you'd get away with it, but that and- was pretty good. And before we get on to the last one, breaking news. Go ahead. The Boston Red Sox have fired Alex Cora before the punishment comes out. <laughs> so, way to go, Boston. What if what if we're the first show in St. Louis to have broke that? Are we? It's 646. There's no live show on ESPN. We are we, the first ones. We have broken news on 101 ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how does that feel? How does that feel? I don't know. The last news I broke uh, was uh, Charlie Whiting dying. Yeah. So, and that I kind of ruined Todd's evening, and he still remembers that. So I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Again, Todd. though, if it's breaking news, you throw everything out, and you're true. like, that's true. Um, so I'm going to tell one before we move on to the next one. This involves the NASCAR All Star race. All right. So uh, let's. <clears throat> the. In NASCAR and in every other form of motorsport, the start-finish line runs into the pit lane, right? So the middle of the start-straight finish and the middle of the pit lane both have that finish line on them. That means that a team in the pits, when they cross that finish line, logs a new lap, correct? So in the NASCAR All-Star race, and I I don't have the details in front of me, but I remember this, um, it was determined that you had to go a set number of – a set distance – but you also had to pit once within that distance, right? So one of the teams looked and said, well, shoot, we're one spot behind the start-finish line. Every other team pits within, you know, one lap, two lap, three lap, four, five, six, right? This team runs in last place. 
pits on the last lap, on the white flag lap, and then if you think about it, the distance they have to go now is two car lengths until the checkered flag drops. And that's what they did. Because every other team, when they pit, you think about the pit stop. It's there's the in bit, there's the actual part where you fit the where you, you know, fix your car, and then there's the out bit. Every other team is wasting that amount of distance coming out back onto the track. This team did not have to go back on the track because the second they pulled out of their pit box, they crossed the finish line and won the race. <laughs> It's brilliant. That's that's not even that wasn't even illegal. They outlawed it the year later, so that you had to do it within the first nine yeah. laps of ten lap race. And that's that's where the race officials are like, ah, oh, I see what you did. Uh, we're gonna that's that's wrong for later. Well done. <laughs> well but done. It, it's well done. And so that's that's uh, one of the brilliant things to me. So now it's time to get into our featured story today. Pinsky and Mike Roger Pinsky, Mike Donahue, nineteen sixty seven. This is I'm excited to share this with you. I geeked out about this story earlier today. All right, all right. Roger Pinsky and Mike Donahue uh, were racing Camaros in the SCCA, and in nineteen sixty seven, prior to the season, they decided to contact Lockheed and take every oh removable God. part of their every removable piece of sheet metal and dip it in acid which shed 370 pounds of weight off the car lockheed aerospace aka the government contractor who makes our fighter jets dip these cars in acid okay so i just <laughs> i skimmed over the first sentence and i i read that as penske donahue in 1967 Drove Camaros in on acid, and I'm like, wait, they did what? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, completely off topic, dare, but dare I say this one's even weirder? <laughs> I'm going to continue on. All right, these are some big promises you're making, so let's okay. see what happens. So Pinsky and Donahue they dip their car in acid. Acid. Mark Donahue, the driver of the car, realized pretty immediately that despite losing 370 pounds, that's a lot of weight. <laughs> it's done. It's done. <laughs> Despite losing 370 pounds, that the integrity of this car was, I don't know, not great because it had, you know, acid had dissolved a lot of the metal. So he installed a roll cage. <laughs> it's like a Lancia. Yeah. So he installed a roll cage. That roll cage was effectively the frame of the car because the actual frame of the car, again, was dissolved in acid. It's it's like it, it's like building a, you know a, a building and holding it together with package tape is what they did yeah essentially and but it's building a building doing something that it's structurally harmful to it yeah you know burn it for a while you know hey it's lighter yeah <laughs> but you're gonna have to put some reinforcing beams in here because uh-oh so he puts that he puts that roll cage in after uh after having one in las vegas in seattle the scca comes in and goes well, we have never seen this roll cage in here, so let, roll your car in and let's let's take a peek see at it. They look and they saw, of course, acid corrosion on every single piece of sheet metal in the car. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, it gets better. <laughs> Mark and Roger, they okay, so they warn Mark and Roger. Uh, quote, the car is banned forever and it will never see the light of day in an SCCA race again. And if it does, you will both be suspended. They ain't even care. <laughs> they didn't even care. In 1968, they entered two Camaros in the 12 Hours of Sebring, a very prestigious race, I should say, even back then. It's, it's a very prestigious endurance race, right? They had one, which was a standard weight Camaro, and one they called, quote, the lightweight. 
Would you have guessed that it's the exact same car they ran in 1967, just painted slightly differently? But wait, it gets better. They knew the SCCA was going to test for it. Mark Donahue, quote, So we pulled a tricky stunt. I carefully shaped the number circles so that they could be easily interchanged between the number 16 for one car and 15 for the other. First, we went through tech inspection with the heavy and legal number 15 car. Then we went back to our garage on the far side of the track, put the number 16 on it, and then went back through inspection again. Nobody said anything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so that's cheating right there. That's That's, that's, that's mega cheating. That's that's huge. Um, (laughs) So we pulled a tricky stunt. So we we pulled a stunt and got away with it. This is already one of my favorites, and it gets better. The dis- okay, so the disguise uh, didn't correct two things, which were the uh, wing vent windows and side marker lights oh that, Im- that would have immediately gave it away if anybody would have looked at the lightweight, right? Uh, they weren't worried, though, because, quote, Mark Donahue, again, by changing the numbers around again and entering the track where our garage was instead of through the pits, we even used the acid-dipped car to qualify for both cars. <laughs> Funny to think we could put one down on like that. They qualified and won the class. They won Sebring by qualifying the same car twice that was illegal, never putting it through pin, never putting it through the, inspection the because 60s. they just bought the numbers. What a time to be alive in the sixties. Good <laughs> lord. It's like You wanna know the great thing? What? To my knowledge, to my research, they were never caught. They just admitted to it like 20 years later. <laughs> no penalties. Just, hey, we did this. Um, God, I love that story. Also, that nineteen that 1967 Camaro still is still around to this day, still acid-dipped. All the things are acid-dipped still, and you can find it racing on tracks around the globe. And it belongs to somebody who's restored it back to its original 1967-68 acid-dipped condition. And uh, you can find you can find it racing. In fact, I think it was in two thousand one of the mid two thousands. He uh, lost control of it and it hit a wall. They <laughs> rebuilt it uh, back to that again. Acid dipped <laughs> inspections, but he said, "Did Lockheed do it again?" <laughs> I don't know, but uh, he said that thing would fall apart like you wouldn't believe when it touched a wall. <clears throat> no kidding. <laughs> uh, no, get out. Here, here's the thing. This happened in nineteen sixty seven, and then again in nineteen sixty eight. Nineteen sixty nine, we hit the moon. Yeah, like what a time to be alive! <laughs> you know, safety regulate. Like they went to the moon. They pulled up in Corvettes, got into the space that is super like itty bitty, mm-hmm. and flew to the moon. <laughs> they just did stuff. <laughs> they just, you know, the hull, the hulls. You know, you have you currently are listening to this show, likely piped through a phone that has more computing power than that ship did. Actually, that's one of my favorite facts about the moon landing is that in terms of computing power, the Game Boy, the original Game Boy, outcomputes the the moon lander, the entire moon space program by a factor of like 10. <laughs> but like the late 60s, holy cow, you guys are yeah. legends. Oh. You're insane. <laughs> You're insane. It's somewhat moronic. You wouldn't find a driver today that would agree to that. But the fact that anybody <laughs> survived it, yes. hats off. That's... Our hat, our hats are off to you, folks that somehow survived the late sixties. <laughs> Holy cow! How can you? Uh, here's the thing, too: is how can you not? It's absolutely stupid, absolutely illegal. Please do not do this to your car. As a person who works at a racetrack, honest to God, do not do it. 
How no, can seriously, you, you'll die. Yeah. How can you not love it, though? <laughs> it's a great story. <laughs> yeah, that's what we did. Dude, <laughs> swapping the number plates sounds like something a six-year-old would think of. Although I love that they admitted to it all these years later. <laughs> uh, like, my granddad, before he passed, like his, I think it was his last or his second last birthday, we were sitting around uh, just talking to him and his best college buddy, and they were telling us stories that simultaneously like freaked me out and made me blush i'm like you did what you did what I'm like <laughs> Grandpa, really you did that like oh yeah we you know we flipped that car a couple times i'm like you what <laughs> the fact that he lived to the ripe old age of 89 you know so he's a he was a tough old grout there's Good a, lord there's a uh there is a a episode of the fairly odd parents where his where uh Timmy Turner's dad gets this really old car. And Timmy, Timmy's like, Timmy's sitting there. He's like, you love that car more than I do. And uh, <laughs> he goes, I do not. And he literally cuts away. And they're like, the seatbelts are literally just nylon rope. <laughs> Every corner in the car is a sharp angle. <laughs> it's a miracle I've survived even looking at the thing, let alone driving it. <laughs> that was one of my favorite jokes about my car in college, that you needed a tetanus shot to look at it. <laughs> yeah. It had a lot of rust on it, but I love that thing. You know what you probably need a tetanus shot to touch? An acid-dipped Camaro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That, sir, is a great way to end this segment. Is that, that is perfect. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that, is, that is the winner. I think that needs to go on the Wall of Fame. Oh, my gosh. I'm, uh, we might, uh, might put that Acid-dipped Camaros. <laughs> wall of Fame. Cheating, but Wall of Fame there's worthy a pi- cheating. There's a picture, and it still exists. Like I said, it still exists. It's still, you can go see it at certain racetracks today. Uh, so, yeah, we might just pull up a picture and put that on the wall of uh, the. It can That might be symbolic of the— Car and driver, the lightweight Camaro from 1994. <laughs> we test, then we race the, road, the, the fastest road racing Camaros of all time. I'm sure you want, didn't want to do that. <laughs> I'm absolutely certain of that. Uh, Holy cow. So good. That lightweight Camaro will go on the wall of fame. And not only will it go on the wall of fame, I think it will um it, it should be a statement on the cheating nature of motorsports and how not just cheating, but creative interpretations. Because this sport is the beauty of it kind of sometimes is how they cheat. Yeah. How they get a, a, a sensor around the FIA thing to get more fuel into the system. That totally did not happen. At Ferrari, but and Red Bull goes not that we've made this, but hypothetically, if we were to make this thing, I just that would be, that would be tested for, right? I yeah, actually, that. we'll have to test for it now. Oh, good, good, okay. Well, we didn't make it though, so you can test our car. But as long as you're testing for it, because hypothetically, that would be super illegal. <laughs> I love that so much. That's the perfect <laughs> F1 complaint ever. We've devised a device. Here's what this device does. Is this wrong? Yes. How wrong? Very wrong. Do you look for this thing? No. Will you now? Yes. Okay. That, it's Thank just, you. I love that. <laughs> I love it so much. It's like, ah. Uh, uh. Even though I just kind of retold what you did. But like, it's just uh, like. It's, it's, God. It, this is why I love motorsports. Is there's this cheating kind of mentality. Where there's, it's like, if you get caught, it's, it's bad. bad. But everybody does it too. Like the, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Is such a is such a true axiom. Your favorite team cheats. I'm wearing a Fernando Alonso hat. I know my driver is cheated. All right. Your favorite team cheats. 
Everybody cheats. Yeah. It's part of the sport. If you want to watch something that's fair and balanced, that's fair, that's, you know, well officiated, I don't know. Go watch rugby or something. Don't watch Formula One. Don't watch racing. Don't for watch that baseball. Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> so, oh my God. So oh. good. So good. So, so fun. So good. So fun. Tim, would you like to wrap this up with one old man rant that you've, uh, Thought of on the spot. I thought the other day, it's been about a month and a half since we've done an old it, man rant. It has. Um, and I am going to let you do something that you're actually passionate about. Okay. I'm going to stand up here. All right. Here he goes. He's standing up, limbering up. He's got to, he, he almost threw his back out. Got to get my guys, power. For your my entertainment. Power in. Oh my God. <laughs> He's actually doing squats. <laughs> your rant this week, Luke, is why Cats deserves best picture. Mm mm mm. It doesn't. <laughs> Just straight away. We're, we're going to be <laughs> honest. But go ahead, my friend. Cats deserves best picture because it's the most fun I have had in a movie in a very long time. Dare I say, it's one of the most fun bad movies ever. Now, think back to the to the room, to the disaster artist. The statement that the disaster artist made was that sometimes the artistic quality of a film does not matter because your goal as a as a movie maker is to entertain people regardless of whether or not it's the way that you meant to be entertained, right? That's the statement, that's the thought, that's the beauty of it is that sometimes you all you want is to entertain the masses. And I dare you to find a single person who laughed at cats and say, well, <laughs> it was entertaining for all the wrong reasons, right? That's why it deserves a sta- That's why it deserves a slot next to Tommy Wiseau. That's why it deserves a nod, right? Nineteen seventeen. I haven't. Uh, let's not. Let's not do 1970. Let's go with Joker, right? Joker was a a movie that was made, but I dare say that I had more fun. I had more entertainment value in watching Rebel Wilson splay herself with an unnecessary crotch shot while also eating a a human dressed like a cockroach, all right, (laughs) while watching Judy Dench lay on a a hacky sack, stick her leg up with yet another unnecessary crotch shot. Or James Corden singing off-key... Enveloping, I mean, just begging people to hate him and also being called, please do refer to me as Buster for Jones. All right. This movie was so bad that I laughed. You laughed at me describing it. Imagine it, you seeing it the first time like an acid trip. You're just going, is this, am, am I on drugs? Am I, do I have a fever dream right now? What is happening? And you're laughing because you don't even know. And yet, you're laughing because you're entertained. There are comedians, millions across the globe, who wish that they got the genuine reaction, the genuine laughter, the genuine smiles put on this face at being as bizarre and out there as cats did. And that is why, to me, it is terrible, but it's also art is art. And so long as it entertains, it has to have succeeded in its goal. <laughs> well done. I'll give you an A. That was good. I You just you you both steered into it was horrible and then said that's why it deserves it. Okay. It deserves it because it executed it 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 executed it literally executed everything the goal wrong. Horrifying us. It executed literally everything wrong. But at the end of the day, the one thing that supersedes everything is that it attempts every movie wants to entertain us, and in that, it absolutely entertained me. Love it. Absolutely love it. 
And we hope that we have been entertaining to have you. you. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? People of listening land. Um, listening but land? Yeah. The formation lappers? Formation lappians? <laughs> Folks that are with us on our formation lap where uh, we are bringing up the rear with terrible takes. <laughs> terrible um, takes. But, uh, this, this podcast has built itself on terrible exactly. takes. Exactly. But thank you all for listening. Thank you all for being here. We will see you again. Same time, same place uh, next week. I've been Tim. I've been Luke. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you.